0: This is episode 296 of the Wildlife Photography Podcast. In this episode, the Wild Eye Mara Camp. Hey, everybody. My name is Jerry. I am from Wild Eye. And I'm super excited to share this one with you. This is the audio of a webinar that I did last night and in it I discussed the Wild Aimara camp, but not just the normal stuff that you would hear with regards to kind of why you should come and how amazing it is. Well I do those as well. But I look back and I took people back to the beginning and how the camp started, how Dixon then became a part of the process, how we've grown up, and just I just kind of I just spoke about this little piece of heaven that we call the Wild Imara camp. It is, um, it's something that it, it lays very close to our hearts at Wild Eye. It is our baby. It is our passion. So I hope you guys enjoy this one as much as I had fun sharing it last night. Just on the webinars, what we will do, you will hear in this particular one, I I shared some screenshots with regards to, for example, the Mara Triangle, where the camp's located. I shared some images of the camp in the past and such. If you would like to see the video, make sure to keep an eye on my Instagram. I will be loading that to the Instagram TV on my channel next week or so, and then you can follow along there as well. And also make sure to stay tuned. I've just loaded, what is today? Today is the, I should know what day it is, Wednesday the 8th, so next week, from the 13th through the 16th, I've got three more webinars coming up in which I'm going to go deep into Lightroom, Photoshop, and Nick Filters. So just make sure you just follow along on Instagram. It's Jerry Funavolt. You can also follow WildEye, which is SA, uh, and all the information on the new webinars and other content will be posted there. Anyway, let me take you back. This is the webinar audio from my webinar last night called The WildEye Mara Camp. Enjoy. Okay, just waiting for a few more people to sign on. Then we'll get going, guys. Hello, Yuan Hazard. Hey, everybody. So, just as you guys are um, are busy signing in here, welcome, welcome. We'll get going in a little bit. What we're going to do again is at the end of this, I'm going to give you guys my email address. If you have any questions on anything we're going to talk about today. You guys know me on Instagram, obviously you can hit me up there or alternatively just send me an email and we can start and to engage from there. We'll give it about two minutes or so. Just while we're going, the idea with today is I'm going to tell you guys some stories and just the background of our Wild Eye Mara camp. I'm going to share some images with you. Uh, I'm going to share some details of the wildlife, how it became to be the Wild Eye Mara camp, which we love so much. And at any point in time during this entire webcast, right? If you have any questions, just fire them out. Type them out, they'll pop up here. I will make sure that I confirm that I've seen your your question. And um, if I don't answer it immediately, then I will definitely get to it towards the end when we do a full Q&A. So I think, let us get into this. I'm just scrolling through quickly, everybody is sign in. It looks like we are good to go, right? Hey guys, let's do this officially. My name is Jerry, I am from WildEye, and in this webinar, we're gonna talk about the Wild Eye Mara Camp. Now, some of you, I see some of the names here, some of you have been to our camp, and I am sure you guys will agree that it is a little piece of heaven in Africa. Now, the version that you guys have seen up until now is very different. I'm gonna try and take you back with some images and stuff now. It's very different to when we started. So let me just take it back quickly. I have spent about 15 years now in the guiding lodge and hospitality industry, right? Where I managed high-end lodges, five-star stuff, where in your room, you have a docking station. Um, They have a five-course, sometimes like a nine-course meal. There's buffets as big as anything. All the lodge are trained down to a T, right? And it's a very, it's a good but it's a very kind of structured and sometimes a bit of a cold uh, experience because it feels, and this is harsh, I know, but it feels like a bit of a cookie cutter situation. Anyway, I went to, just to lead this in for you, I went to Canada a couple of years ago, and one of the places we went to stay at was Tweed's Mere Lodge. Now, when I started getting the information on this lodge, right, it had all these logos and award-winning lodge and this and that, and... It was called like one of the top seven lodges in canada so I, I was super psyched i was really excited because i thought you know what i'm thinking singita Londolozi, mala mala the level is through the roof on these things right so that's what i'm expecting and when i got there it was nice i mean it wasn't incredible but it was nice right so it made me realize, and I did a podcast on this when I got to New York just after this trip. And I spoke about I spoke about how African hospitality at lodges, especially in Southern Africa, is some of the highest in the world. It really, really is. So now keep that in mind. So let me take you back to 2010, where I started a small company called Photo Africa. And the idea with it was that I was gonna run safaris and do digital photography courses in between managing a corporate lodge in the Mediqua Game Reserve. Because the corporate lodge basically is that's how it's set up. You know when your shareholders are coming, it's not like someone just comes for three nights. You knew what you're dealing with. So I started Photo Africa on the side. It eventually became Wild Eye. But one of the trips that I was planning as my first big trip through Photo Africa was to the Masai Mara. <laughs> So I met two people online, uh, Paul and Isaac at the time, and they were running like a facilitation process where they would have a camp and you can book them. They manage the logistics of it, I just bring my guests and I worry about my guests. Sounded like a great deal. So anyway, I, f- I filled this trip up and Jono, who's now one of my partners at WildEye, was one of the guests on this trip. It just so happened, right? And this is a year before we went on the trip, 2010. And, Andrew Beck was, he was also in the industry, and he was doing relief guiding for me whenever I needed him at lodges. So, Andrew was involved in that process. So, anyway, long story short, in between me booking the Masamara trip and me executing the Masamara trip, Wild Eye happened. So, the very first official Wild Eye Safari ever was actually the very last Photo Africa trip ever, if that makes sense. Now, I'll tell you the story of how our first experience went because it was, for those of you that have been to the Mara and who've seen how we do this, it is shocking what we experienced back then. Anyway, so I'll tell you about that now. So we then flew to the Mara and we did our whole thing there. And the first night, literally on the first night, we saw more animals in the Massa Mara on the first day, driving from the gate to the camp that we used at the time than I have seen ever on all the safaris I've been on, right? On all of them. So the camp was, mm, I'm gonna be kind, it was average. It was average, I'll tell you a little bit of a story around that now. But we recognized that this kind of wildlife, the landscapes, the, the quality and quantity of game viewing that we saw on day one, we realized there was something here. And then we started talking literally on the first night, John and Andrew and myself, we stood under a tree and we um, started talking and said, listen, what if, and this is a big what if, what if we could take a South African lodge and hospitality experience and bring that to the Mara? And that's what we did. That's what we set out to do. So at the end of the week, after our week, six nights, seven days, like we're doing now, we... Spoke to the guys who ran the camp. We flew one of them out to to South Africa and we started the process. Let me just back you up a touch now. Little story for you. So we booked this first trip uh, up to the Masamara and I've got guests. Most of them were shareholders at the time. So they said they would come with me because they trusted me from a guiding point of view and all of this. So they said, cool, let's go. So I had 12 guests, myself and Andrew, hosting this thing. So we fly into Kenya, into Nairobi, We get, as a group, because it was all South Africans, we get to Nairobi in the morning and we get picked up by two minivans, right? Remember, Wild Eye, we did not do the logistics then. This was all part of the guys who we use. I'll tell you about them in a second. Anyway, so we get picked up at the airport. We think, this is amazing. Holy hell, we're in Kenya. This is just amazing, everybody's first time. So we start driving. Now, if any of you have experienced Nairobi traffic, you'll know what I'm talking about. So we had to get through peak hour morning traffic. And then we hit the road to Narok. Now, if you drive from Nairobi to the Masai Mara, Narok is pretty much a halfway point, give or take, right? But the itinerary these guys worked out for us meant that we're going to spend the night in Narok. I'm going to give you the, the name of the hotel was the Four Seasons Hotel. Now, whatever you've got in your mind about the Four Seasons Hotel, this is not it. This was shocking, it was absolutely shocking. So we were in two minivans, right? We drove from Nairobi to Narok and I feared for my life. These guys were driving like 90, 100 kilometers an hour, potholes the size of small cars on the road. It was insane, right, insane. But still, the allure and the thought of us going to the Masamara was still so strong. Nobody actually cared, it was like, yeah, we can do this. We might die, but we can do this, joke. Yeah. Anyway, so we get to Narok uh, just, we spend the night at this Four Seasons Hotel, which, yeah, dodgy at best, right? But it was great. Everyone was in a good mood. They understood. I made it clear to them that this is the first one, right? This is the first one. We'll see how it goes. And the next morning after breakfast, if you could call it that, whatever this hotel gave us, basically don't stay at the Four Seasons Hotel in The Rock if you have the choice. Just saying. We got in, and we hit the road. Another couple of hours, we got to Sekinani Gate, which is when you drive from Nairobi to Narok. that's the gate where you enter the Masa Mara. Now, even till today, even with the drama that we had of getting there and the food and everything up until that point, there's something ridiculously romantic and amazing about arriving in the Mara for the first time. I will never forget it, never. So, these two minivans got us there, They checked us in. We went through the gate and on the other side of the gate, there were four game viewers of this company that we were kind of using to facilitate the process. (laughs) These cars looked like they came from the Second World War, right? We didn't care at this stage because holy hell, we are in the Masai Mara. And if you know what it's like, you'll know what it feels like. So anyway, so we get in these cars, we split the guests up, Andrew and myself do the whole thing and we start driving. Now we have about a, maybe three-hour drive from Sekinani Gate to where the campsite is. And you guys will know, if you look at some of my images, Johan's images, all the guys, we would, um, we would look and you'll just see these perfect African scenes, landscape, small tree, the whole thing. Just a little side note, my first romantic moment in the morrow, right? So I get there and there's a Maasai. Oh my God, he's got the, the sugar on and everything as we stop for a drink. And he, our Maasai guide, walks off down the road to the massamot, like just off. And I'm thinking, I'm going to burst into tears. This is just beautiful. There's this lone tree and there's, what was his name? Pacwao was this Massa's name. And he walks off. Next moment, his cell phone rings and he picks it up and he's like, and I'm like, okay, there goes that. Anyway, different story. But long story mm-hmm. now, we get to the camp, super basic camp. 12 guests, very similar kind of layout and size to what our current Mara camp is, same size. And we then settled in. It was rough and rudimentary. The, it was a single dome tent for two people, quite close, tight and tiny, nothing fancy, nothing fancy, right? There's two beds, and I think outside that little table with a water cooler, a water bottle thing, right? So that was that was kind of the first introduction into the Mara. The dining hall was super Super basic. I'm talking like super basic. And the couple who owned the camp, they were on site, and then there were the two people who facilitated the process, kind of our hosts, and then Andrew and I did the guest facilitation. Now, <laughs> the, the couple who owned the camp, let's just say their strength was not um, hospitality. Like when it's time to eat, and Dixon, who's you, you guys know Dixon. I'll show you some pictures now. Dixon would come and call us for, for dinner. And by the time we got to dinner, the couple owned the place. They've already been in there. I remember the one time we had ribs for dinner, right? So Dixon's like, we're going to have ribs. We're going to have this. As we get to the food, like the, the, the buffet, there's basically a bowl with empty ribs. It's like, what the hell happened here? So they would help themselves first. And this idea that we had that hospitality from a South African point of view, what we do well. I've been in the industry for 12 years or something at the time, right? If we could bring that to the Mara, we would win. And we kept on talking about this the whole time, John and Andrew and myself, we would talk about it. The potential is just insane, insane. So let me quickly show, show you guys, just an image of the... Uh, I'm gonna try and just quickly show you a picture of the Mara Triangle, so that you guys can show you where that is. Because initially, we were in the Mara Triangle, right? And it was kind of halfway top to bottom. It was halfway top to bottom. And if I share this with you here, and over there. So if you look at this now, right? This here is the Mara Triangle. I don't know if you guys can see that. Yes? Uh, Can someone just quickly send me a message and confirm that you can see my screen share here? This is the Masa Mara. So our original camp, let me just see here. Uh, Yes, you guys got it. Fantastic. Okay, so the Mara Triangle is made up of the top part here is an escarpment. This is the Tanzania border on the bottom side and Kenya side, and the river runs up. Now this red at the bottom here, that's where the current campsite is. The camp that we use sat a little bit higher, kind of just over this area here, just where these two little red marks are. Okay, so we then made our way off to this camp. We were on the banks of the river, where our camp is now as well. We were literally on the banks of the river. It was Africa like you've imagined it from the beginning. It was beautiful, right? but the hospitality was sorely lacking. The lady who was one of the owners of the camp, she liked her white wine and they had, they had a lot of munchies. I, I don't know if they met, you know what I mean? So they had munchies all the time. I remember in one sighting, I'm going down a rabbit hole here now, but we were sitting in a cheetah sighting on the border where we had a lot of good cheetah sightings in the past. And this guy who was owning the camp and who was driving us at the time as a guide, he was chowing popcorn like nothing. It's like, I wanted some, but this guy was just... Anyway, different story. So, long story now. Let me pull this back. So, Dixon and Francis, who are currently staff members of ours, they were part of the team of workers at this camp. So, I was fascinated by the Maasai culture. I still am. And they've literally changed my world. I know Johan Johann is watching here. He he would He would feel the same. These people change... Your world. They are absolutely insanely beautiful people, right? So, on the last day, um, we by now, John and myself, and Andrew have spoken and said, Listen, we need to do something with this. It is that good. We need to do something here. And because now, Wild Eye was officially a go, right? This was our first Wild Eye trip, and we knew we wanted to do something in Kenya. So, at the time, I was just getting into like the videos and kind of doing vlogging and such. So, I took Dixon. And, and Tenke, the two Masai down at Kaboko campsite to a tree. And I put three chairs out, it was myself, the two of them, and Andrew then helped me film a video where I basically interviewed these two guys on Maasai culture. And at the time, now for you guys, I see uh, Kim, Grace, some of you that have been at the camp, Johan, you'll know, right? Nick, these guys now talk so much, you can't keep them quiet and it's a thing of beauty. Speaking to these Maasai people, it is humbling and amazing and awesome. Eight years ago, nine years ago now, they could almost not speak English. Dixon could just barely speak English. Now here was me, I was trying to get from them, listen, tell me about, um, I'll answer that question for you now. Keep the questions coming guys, I'll answer them as we go. Um, I was not trying to get from them, tell me about how you hunted lions because there's this Maasai thing where, where, where we know that to become a Maasai warrior, you have to go kill lions. And we were fascinated, still am, still fascinated by that. So anyway, so I recorded this video. I have to go and find this video somewhere. It has to be somewhere with these two guys. And the guy who we had as a partner at the time in Kenya, we said to him, listen, we need to do something. And Dixon and Francis were so, that they, were, they kind of, I think we fell in love with each other, us South African guys and these Maasai guys. It was just, there was this energy that happened. And for those of you that have been to our camp, you will know, you will know how special the energy is. So at that moment, at that tree, we basically said to Dixon and to Tenke, right? This is not the last time we will see you watch this space. And here we are a couple of years later and it's still going strong, even more than we thought. So how it happened then is we... We flew the director at the time, our, our partner on that side, we flew him out to South Africa and we said, listen, we want to start our own camp in the Massa Mara, in the Mara Triangle. Now, from a business decision, really, really not a great idea, right? Because we were just as a company, as WildEye, we were only going for one year. Now to go and foot and to, to put money down and to invest in a foreign country, we didn't really understand everything yet, but let's do this. That's how passionately we felt about this whole thing. So throughout the next couple of months, we started putting things together. we got tents made in South Africa. We started sourcing things in Kenya, putting this together, which looking back now was a hell of a thing, right? But if I look at our systems now, I and mean, we're crushing it right now. So we then ran the first three weeks the following year, the first very first week that we go up, right? Um, and we went up and we took people from Click Elite at the time. They sponsored us camera bags. So we said to them, guys, we're going to test drive this camp. Let's go. And it was amazing. It was basic, 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 basic. I'm going to show you some pictures of our camp in a little bit, but it was amazing. It was basic, but it was awesome. Then we had a family and friends week after that. And I think we then had one other week. So the first year we only ran three weeks. There was the test week. There was a friends and family week and then like one real week. And I remember on the very last night, it was just John and myself left at camp because all the guests have checked out. And John and I sat there and was almost like, what just happened? What have we just done? But In a good way. And Dixon and Francis, who were the very first two staff members, when we said we're doing our camp, they came straight over and they've been with us since. And, um, they said to us, can they please thank us for this opportunity that we've given them to work and to have be a part of this? And, and this is, I mean, it, it gets me kind of emotional because we sat there, John and I sat there, and these, I think there was three or four of them, Nassai guys, did like a dance around the fire for us. Their way of thanking us. I still have some of the images that I took that night. And for any of you that have been in safari in, in Southern Africa, the dancing can be quite aggressive it's quite a it's almost like a battle cry the zulus stomp their feet and stuff maasai dancing is very trancey. it's kind of a mm, mm, you must have seen the videos right and at that moment at that moment when John and i sat next to that fire we knew this is something special now moving forward we then knew okay this is it i think the following year we ran like five weeks the following year we ran like six or seven weeks Right now, look, coronavirus, different story, talk about it later. But normally now, under normal circumstances, like last year, the camp goes up in June, we take it down in November, and we run every single week. Sunday people come in, Saturday they leave, and that's the entire season, right? Before I get into more detail on the camp itself, it is a ridiculously amazing thing to look and see where it came from, how we had these single little dome tents to what we have now, where we have solar power all linked up, dining tent, media tent, lounge. And literally every single year, every single year that we have run the camp, we have made upgrades. It has become our baby. It has become our passion. It is what we are proud of. It is absolutely ridiculous. So let me quickly share just with you guys again, um, this one here. So this, again, this is the Mara Triangle. Let me just move these out of my way so I can see what I'm doing. So the Mara Triangle, again, this top part, the, the top, top left side is the Olo Ololo Escarpment, right? That's the top part of the triangle. The bottom part of the triangle is the Kenya-Tanzania border. And the, the, on the, west, the eastern side, sorry, you can see the river kind of curling up and down. That's the Mara River. Our camp is situated down here where this little red thing is in this little peninsula, Right, now what this does, it gives us access to this entire area, but we can also, if you go down, there's only one way that you can go, well, two ways, three, I lie, I lie. Let me just explain this nicely, right? There's only three ways into and out of the Mara Triangle. Number one, right in the top, there's a gate where you can drive in. Right at the bottom, there's a bridge over the river where you can, it's called the Purungat Bridge, where you can come in or you can fly in. Now, with our camp being literally a five minute drive from that bridge, we can access both the Masamara National Reserve, the big part, or the triangle. Now, the triangle is way better controlled. It's less vehicle traffic, it's way more. The ranges there are amazing in controlling the guest experience. So, from an experience point of view, if we look at this, right, we can do this entire triangle all the way up the river, and we can cross over this bridge and go into the Massamara National Reserve. Now, if any of you want these documents, I will happily email it to you afterwards. So just send me a direct message or an email I'll send this to you. But these are the red marks. If I just, can I zoom in here? These are the red marks everywhere are historical crossing points for when the wildebeest migration comes through, right? There's more now, there's a lot more. The catch and the good thing for us is the following, notice. In this little peninsula here where this red little house is, that is where our camp is. That is where we are situated. This means, this means that we can leave camp at about six o'clock in the morning, right? We're out there. A lot of the camps are far away from the river. It might take them anything between two, sometimes three hours at game drive speed to get to the actual river. We've had crossings on our own at about quarter to seven in the morning with nobody else there. For my guests who have been there, I'm Grace, all of you guys, right? You will know that a lot of the mornings we find sightings and for the first two hours at least, it is just the first four wild eye vehicles that are there. There's nobody else. Then these guys come pulling in because they've got to get from their lodges, which is in, in a beautiful place, it's in a beautiful place, but it's quite far away from the river. And that is a win. The entire camp experience for us is built around spending as much quality time in the field as possible. That's why, that's why we do this, right? We're right there. So what I'm gonna do now, before I go into some more detail, let me do this with you. I am going to quickly share my screen with you and I'm gonna run, through some images in my Lightroom. Can you guys just quickly give me a thumbs up? Can you all all see what I'm showing you now? Can you guys see the lion on screen? Just give me a yes, please, so I know you guys are all happy and you can see what I'm looking at. Fantastic. What I'm gonna do now, I'm in my Lightroom here. This is just some images that we've used in the past. I'm gonna run you through this and just kind of narrate once in a while so that uh, we can, I, I can just show you what we're looking at here, right? So, if we go, let's go full screen on that. How's that? Yeah, that is fine. So, if you look at this, we, our own vehicles. This is just an example on one of our old vehicles. Now, the nice thing that you need to understand about camping and um, safaris in the Masamara, standing up in a vehicle like this lady's doing here is golden. I cannot explain to you how important this is. If you're going to be in the vehicle... Sometimes 12 hours a day, you want to be able to stretch your legs. The photography is great from there, you can get the breeze, it is vital. We'll talk more, more about that in a little bit, right? Scenes like this there are few places in Africa where you can get a breakfast spot like this overlooking the plains of Africa, right? It is absolutely ridiculous, and this is something that we try and build into every safari that we do because it shows people the best of the place. Four vehicles, so what will often happen, those are our four vehicles, we only put three people per vehicle, and this is one of our trees overlooking the river. So when there's a crossing building, we will stop here, right? And sometimes we'll pack our picnic, we'll do our breakfast here. If we stay long enough, the chefs will bring food to us for lunch, we'll have lunch there, because we need you to be close to the action as much as possible, right? Now these are some of our old vehicles, Um, If you guys keep an eye on our Instagram feed, on the Wild Eye SA, I'm going to share some more details on the new vehicles from there. Sightings like this, a lot of the mornings, it is just us. It is just the Wild Eye vehicles because we are so close to the action. I'm going to run through some of these images, campfires in the evening with these people, the staff, Dixon them. Amazing. This is Dixon. I'm going to tell you some stories about him in a little while. This is one of the breakfast settings that we did out. What you see in the back here, all these lines, those are lines and lines and lines of wildebeest, right? Now this was a balloon stop. You'll see there's a very big kind of um, breakfast uh, buffet thing happening here. Balloon safaris are a part of the whole experience and we can help facilitate that for you. But just you're sitting in Africa under a tree like this, hundreds, sometimes hundreds of thousands of wildebeest just coming past, right? Evenings at the campfire. I'm going to talk about this experience in a little while. So this takes us back a little bit. This is before we did the pathways and everything. Now, I've got a lot of different pictures in here. I want to show you the progression of this, right? So if you look in here, the inside over here, just confirm. Can you guys see my cursor if I move it around on the screen? Just give me a yes, please. So you Can, see, can you see my cursor? Just so I know that you guys can follow along. Great. Thanks, Phil. Awesome. Mm. So originally, right, it was just this inside. It was just that. That was the only thing you got. Since then, we've added this additional room outside. So this thing can zip closed. You've got your, your bathroom, your facilities ensuite, right? This closes in the evening. You've got place to pack, and there's a hanging rail on the side as well. Every single shower, every single room has its shower on the outside. Now, this is images from last year. This has all been upgraded since. If I look next one here. So you got, this is still the old day, right? Look at this. This is an old chemical toilet. We now have full flush toilets for every single room. It has changed in a very big way. Now, inside each room, beautiful wooden bed, very comfortable um, uh, mattresses. You've got your little side table with all the amenities that you need, everything from mosquito repellent to hand cream and so on. you got a little packing cupboard. And we have now full solar, in the camp. So every, every tent inside and outside has its very own solar lights, right? So you can turn it on and off as you need. The showers. Now I'm going to quickly just bring you back to me here, right? The showers in the Mara. We've had people who look at that shower. I'll show you the picture again now in a second, right? That look at it and think, mm, not sure I can do that. Now, I have had people and one of the guys who was with me last year went home and he said, he's gonna build himself a shower in Canada that looks like that because it's so awesome. The idea is simple, that you can, it's the best shower in the world, fill you 100% right. You can shower basically any time of the day. The guys at the back, they've got a big pot of water that they're always boiling. You give them five to 10 minutes advance warning, they fill the donkey at the top, I'll show you now, and then you shower. I have stood in that shower in the middle of the night, looking up and you see the Milky Way better than you've seen it in any country. It is absolutely ridiculous. Let me take you back there. So if you guys see here, uh, where is, I'm mean, just share the right screen with you. That would also kind of help, yeah? Uh, we are looking for this one, right? So the guys fill up this with, with hot water. And then inside here, again, this is all from last year, just giving you an idea. You're in the middle of nowhere. Each tent has its own shower. You can get in your little um, mirror if you wanna look at yourself, shower each to his own, I prefer not to, right? But we've now got our own shampoos and conditioners and stuff. You can shower here for as long as your water maintained and rent. It is beautiful. Now, what I would normally tell people, right? What I would normally tell people is that when you shower, right? When you shower, there's enough shower. Some people, two people shower and there's enough water, right? But what you need to do, open, wet yourself, stop the water, shampoo and wash all the bits and do the whole thing and then open and then you can take your time. If not, you are going to get stuck naked and and, and, and soapy in the bush and you have to shout for help. But I, we do this briefing on the first night. But guys, I kid you not. Johanna, I see your question. Thank you. Charlotte, I see yours as well. I'll get all to those a little bit towards the end of this. But guys, these showers, you cannot beat. And, and like I said, every single one of the tents have their own shower. And you can shower any time of the day. It is absolutely beautiful. This is the view, for example, from one of the tents. Um, literally, you have your own view of the Mara River coming in front of you. It is magnificent. Now, this goes back. This is our old dining tent. And I specifically use these because I know, Johan, you guys were going to join as well. This was tiny. This is a five by five meter tent. Our new dining tent, and I'll show you that in a little bit, is huge. The dining, the media tent now is also five by 10. There's a lot of space, and that is where everything happens. Now, I know, Jono, you're watching. I know, Johan, you're watching. For those of you that have been to the new camp last year, right, this is some of the old images to show you how far we have come. It is amazing. This was Kuboko campsite. This would be when you get dropped off in the evening, you would walk down here, the guys will wait with the hot towels, and you would then go into the dining tent, which is this area over here. Yeah? This was the media tent. We've now kind of changed the layout a bit. This already seems amazing. It is upgraded a million percent from what you see here. And I'll show you some pictures in a little bit. This kind of stuff. Our camp is about the experience. It's about getting to know the culture and the place. Mike with very long hair, we'll discuss this with Mike on his Instagram. Actually, for those of you that follow Mike on Instagram, go and tell him you saw him with long hair and he used to address that. I can't really talk, <laughs> but this is Dixon and Francis and one of the drink stops at, out of Africa that we do. Sammy, one of our guides, beautiful, beautiful man. Uh, Ken somewhat, is some wildebeest, we're standing in there looking to see around. Our four vehicles, Wild Ayesha is our hashtag, beautiful thing, moments around the campfire. This is what people remember. This is why people come back, because it's about the experience. Moments like this, just taking you through some scenes. Now, this is a small little drink stop that we did. If it's a small group, like if you, if you bring three or four people, you would get your own vehicle and we will do this just for you, and there you go. I mean, you're in one of the best game reserves in the world and you've got this to yourself. It is magnificent. The photography is amazing. Jimmy, amazing, amazing guy. One of our guides. Marlon in the background looking really serious. More shots around the campfire. The Masai I'll talk about in a little second. Um, so here's four people in the vehicle, all with very big lenses and there's space to spare. There's a lot of space. We put this in just to show you some of the solar power that we had. These are the original ones. Johan, you'd enjoy this. We now have a full solar farm that literally drives the entire camp. Just some scenes from the Masai I mean, this is an everyday kind of scene. This is the stuff you drive past all the time. Martha, one of our regular clients with elephants, more eyes around the camp. This goes way back. This shows you where we came from. It is unbelievable for me now, just looking through these to see how far we have come. This already we thought was amazing. Now just look at this for me for a second, right? That used to be, well, that used to be our dining tent. It has jumped to next level. What we have done now is just, we cannot be more proud of this product. It is absolutely a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I'm going to quickly just scroll you through um, a, a document that I have here. Let me just screen share this with you. I'm gonna take you to over here and I wanna share this one with you, right? So this is, this is I just wanna show you some of the, 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 the stuff from here. Um, obviously the wildebeest migration is a part of the camp. That is why we started this thing. Moments like this, we've got crossings coming across the river and our vehicle, sometimes just our four, sometimes more, but most of the time we get prime position. Lions, the crocodile action, right? Scenes like this, if you wanna see predators doing what predators do, you wanna come to the Masamara, right? More scenes like this. The wildlife in this place is ridiculous. Now here we get, if I just take you in on this a little bit, this is the new lounge area, right? This area is now adjacent to our brand new dining tent. So this is a big, it's about a 20 meter by five meter. This lounge area with the bar in the corner is where people now spend their time. This is where you come and tell stories. The fire pit that you see down here is just next to the camp over here, next to the tent, right? And then here you've got the new setup with all the solar lamps, all the new adjustments and everything. It is absolutely, you've seen some of those, an incredible, incredible experience. Now I know one or two of you have emailed me before saying, asking about balloon safaris, can we do it? Short version, yes we can. We can facilitate this for you during your stay, and on one morning you then go up in the balloon to go and drift over the Masamara. Now, we don't plan that well in advance because we try and kind of see where are the movements, where are the herds at the time. And then we say, right, let's now decide on this day. So you can book your safari and you can book your, your balloon ride, but when we get closer to the time, we'll say to the group, okay, this is the morning we're all going. We obviously work with the operators, and, um, and they then kind of do the thing with us, but that is a part of it, you have to do it. For me personally, there's three places in the world where you want to do a balloon safari. Number one, Namibia, over the Red Dunes. Number two, Cappadocia in Turkey, mind-blowing. And number three is the Masai Mara during the migration. It really is that good. So anyway, I mean, the camp itself, that's just a little bit of the history and about the camp. Short version, there is, we've got 10 tents, double. Uh, we take a maximum of 12 people at any given week. If it's only singles that book, everybody gets their own tent, right? And then we close it, 10 people only. The tents are about between 15, maybe 20 meters apart sometimes, just depending on how the setup is and which area of the camp you're looking at. You got complete privacy, your own ensuite facilities, your own shower, and it's 100% safe. Even though it's not fenced, and I can tell you some cool stories about that maybe in a future webinar, we can do safari stories. Johan and I can host that one together. That sounds like a plan. Because Johan was in camp where, um, when there was lions and stuff that came through. Pretty interesting. So, Lucas, good question. I will come to that in a second. So, that's the camp. There is, in my mind, and I might be biased because I'm part of the owner, I own some of the camp, no better way than to experience the Masamara than on the banks of the river. Right, Um, if any of you want any of the documents I showed you, I can also share about um, about 10 YouTube links where I've done walkthroughs of the camp, where I speak to the staff. Send me an email or send me a direct message, right? and say to me, send me the links please from the webinar and I will send those to you. Some beautiful background, more visuals. We did a little 20 minute documentary on the camp, it's awesome. So, some questions here. I'm gonna start on this side of here. Um, I've, Grace says, I've chatted and booked with Michael for off-peak at end of October. Can you chat for a few minutes about off-peak and what to expect? Now, tough one. We, as humans, know that it's peak season and off-peak season and park fees and availabilities and rates at hotels, not for us. We change those things, right? With nature being very, very unpredictable and specifically the migration, there's some other shifts that's happened in the last three or four years. We have had bigger crossings. Last year, Grace, to give you an idea, my biggest crossing last year was in November when I was hosting a workshop there. The cool thing about end of season, kind of uh, September, October, November, is the herds have come through already the grass is super low, right? So your predator viewing and photography is legit. It is incredible because when they're hunting, they haven't got much grass to hide in. So your predator photography during the off-peak, phenomenal, especially end of season. There's a very good chance that a lot of the wildebeest will still be hanging around because they don't think, holy shit, it's time to go. Guys, we need to get out of here. They just kind of follow the herds. If the rain stays, they will stay. Right? So, end of season, September, October is a beautiful time. It's a beautiful time. November, even. It is amazing. Look, you can go to the Massamara any time of the year. It is sick. It is ridiculous. Right? So, Grace, off peak, you can have an amazing time. The low grass makes for really good predator activity. Um, Lucas asks, how much of the game drive do you miss when you go on a balloon flight? So, what will happen if you do the balloon? We will arrange the night before, myself for the facilitator who's hosting your trip. We'll meet with you guys and the balloon people. They pick you up at half past four. They drive you to Governors, which if you look at this map of the Mara Triangle, let me quickly show you this. Um, um, um. See if I can quickly really just share this with you so you guys understand where the balloon goes from. Um, it was in this one and it was here. So in the triangle itself, right? Ooh, not that far. The balloon guys will fetch you at our camp. we just move this across. They will fetch you at the camp. And they'll drive you for half past four up to the right at the top here. You then drift with the balloon. Can you guys see my little cross? You drift across over the river. It is spectacular and they land you in this area here. Okay, so you kind of go over the river. If the herds are there, it is spectacular and you land in this open area to the western side of what's called hippo pools. Now, what then happens is the people who do not go on game drive go on a normal game drive, we drive up, Lucas, and we then meet you guys at your balloon stop, So, which is generally around about 8, 8.30. You stop, you have a breakfast, and then we go. The cool thing, Lucas, then, is we, I mean, the facilities most of the time don't go with. We will kind of drive. We'll know where the sightings are. So the equipment that you do not take with you goes into the vehicles, right? And then when we meet you, we pick you up, and then we go straight to the sightings so if anything you maybe missed two hours of game drive at best it is a worthwhile compromise because even if you are up in the air the guides jimmy sammy james and jackson they bring the vehicles they'll know where the sightings are so they then take you straight there for one morning it is worth it it really really is grace has got a question another one what do you think this year with all the rains and how will this affect things now Hmm, Grace, hold that thought. I'm gonna answer that in a second. I'm gonna just wanna jump to um, two other questions here. Charlotte asked, what is it about Dixon and Francis Tenker that made you want them both to work with you? If you meet them, you will know. You know how you meet someone and they've got an X factor? There's just something about the way that they make you feel. And even though in the beginning, we couldn't really speak like we do now. I mean, I spoke to, to Sakaya, to Dixon Yes, they're on the phone. It's amazing. It's amazing to speak to these people. So there was an X factor, and we just knew. For those of you that know Dixon and them, you just know. It really is. Um, Grace, I'm not avoiding your question. I'm coming to that in a second. Johan asked a question here. um, What do you think has been the biggest change from day one to now? It's a very good question, Johan. From my personal point of view, having been involved since day one of this thing, Poor. To me, it would probably be trust. And what I mean by this is in the past, and Johan, you had some of this. You, you, I mean, you're one of my senior guides. In the past, we would get there. I would have to worry about the guests. I'm on the phone with Dixon thinking, holy hell, Dixon, is the camp ready? Because we moved the camp. We had to run to the kitchen, then do lightroom, then check this and that. We have grown up so much as a brand, as individuals, as staff in Kenya, that I can literally, the last time I was there, right, I could literally just sit back, focus on the guests, enjoy doing what I do, and Dixon and them ran the camp. That growth, we've had our teething problems, make no mistake, but that growth to me and the trust, that, I think, and it's just been getting better. It really has. I mean, Johan, you should know as well, from the first time that you were involved until now, how we can literally just, Dixon does everything, Tenki does everything. They have it. We can do what we do. So, okay, Phil, I see your question as well. I've got Felipe who says, what is the best season to do a safari? And is your summer the same as Europe's summer or is it the opposite? Okay, I'm going to go there quickly. You can come on safari to Africa any time of the year. We are doing more of these webinars every single day from next week, sometimes twice a day. And we are going to cover that. You can say to me April and I will find you somewhere to go. You can say to me September, I will find you somewhere to go. A lot of it will depend on what it is that you want to experience in your safari. If you want to see elephants standing on their back legs, you have to go to Mana Pools between kind of August and October. If you want to see the Great Migration, you're going to come to the Masamara between July and November, those kind of things, right? So there literally is a good time year round in Africa. But preferably and my personal choice is you kind of want to try and time it so that you do it in South winter, or not South Africa Africa's winter which is opposite from Europe right so anytime from May through October not much rain during those times which means your water holes are more active if animals come to water holes animals that eat animals predators they come to water holes we waited water holes. so I would say winter time is good but again I've hosted and and, and guided, private guided trips throughout Africa every single month of the year, and it has been amazing each time. So you can go any time of the year, but that's why before you start booking, speak to myself, get hold of your Han Sale. I know he's watching, get hold of your Han online and say, listen, arrange a Skype chat, and Grace, I did see your email, I'm gonna do Zoom meetings next week again, so we can talk, and discuss, because not all safaris are created equal, but there's always a good opportunity in Africa to come on a safari. Right, jumping to more questions on this side. Uh, Grace, I'm going to pause on yours. I'm going to come back to that now. Lucas said, you talked about seeing the Milky Way. Can I bring a tripod and a fast and wide lens for astrophotography? 100%, 100%. We've done some great astrophotography from the turning circle. I actually saw in my Lightroom um, a, no, Grace, you're not a pain in the ass. Don't worry about it um i saw a great image that i took of dixon with stars and the camp sign so yes you can do astro from camp um there it's funny there's a lot of cloud cover normally that time of year but there are some beautiful evenings and yes you can do that i would also if you want to go down the low light shooting the stuff and i'll just show you some images once we're done with this of some of the stuff around the fire that we've done with the staff it is beautiful so yes astro is possible Beautiful portraiture around the fire with ambient light and or flash. So all of that worked pretty well as well. Now, let me just see if there's any other questions that I've missed here. No. And how much did I Right. I'm going to get real with you guys for a second. Wait, wait. Let me quickly just show you some images of the staff. And this is from one trip that I did. Um, Jono and I went up and we hosted a photographic academy for the Mara Triangle Rangers because these guys see the most insane shit every day in the field. So we, we got them some Olympus cameras, we sponsored them, and well, Olympus South Africa sponsored them, and we ran the course for them. So they're producing content. I just wanna share some of the images with you, and then Grace, I'm gonna talk about the, 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 the how the rains have affected things and how coronavirus has affected things. But before we go there, let me quickly just show you in my Lightroom here, this is some of the images. And like I said, where is we just I'm going to try and actually share the right screen with you guys, which would be even better. So this one, share. There we go. We're in Lightroom. So I'm just going to take you quickly into this here. So June in 2018, we were at camp. So I'm going to flash through these. This is just some of the images. We took, that's the campsite, fire. It is beautiful. You're on the Mara River, fire shots. These kind of things, we were just playing around right? This is us messing around with our staff. There were no guests. How beautiful is this? I mean, come on, right? Just some basic shots that we took around the fire with these guys. I'm just flashing through. This is on my Smug Mug Gallery, guys. If you want to go and check, you can see it there. But these kind of things, playing with this kind of photography, even as a wildlife photographer, is the gold. That's 10K Abomin. He pours the best gin and tonic in Africa. No, in the world, right? So, this is the kind of stuff that we just shot, played with around the fire on top of just the wildlife images, right? It is absolutely amazing what you can do and the experience around this fire. I don't know why my lightroom is lagging, but the stuff you can do, beautiful stuff. I mean, just absolutely incredible. I mean, if you know Dixon, you'll, you'll hear that. You can hear his laugh when you look at this picture. It is just absolutely beautiful. So, um, ah, Nicholas Deloche, hey, good question. And I'll answer that for you as well now. So, let's just get serious here for a second. Um, Grace, your question, let me just pull that up here quickly one more time to read it. Um, Grace asked, what do you think this year with all the rains and how will this affect things? Now, to get very real, with the amount of rains that the Triangle have had, um, we're in the process right now of we're going to try and help them raise some funds later this week. You can follow us on Instagram for that. The roads have collapsed. There's been so much rain, right? But apart from that, we're going to help them to fix that because that's what we do. We care about the place that much. Is With the amount of rain, there must be a shitload of grass, right? It must be Eden right now. And with coronavirus, there's no people there. So the system is kind of regenerating. I think it has potential to be a huge migration season with the herds coming early and staying longer than usual because of the amount of food that's there. So I do think it's going to be a pretty slamming, it's going to be a kick-ass season with regards to that. Um, so I do, think that, I do think that it's going to be an amazing season. Now, the catch is this. Um, I'm seeing all the questions, I'll get to those now. The coronavirus thing has changed everything. We had a big meeting today. If you have booked an Amara trip with us, you would have gotten an email about how we're gonna do this. We are not canning the season yet. We are gonna take it month by month. If we need to, for example, move July and move July bookings to next year, then we're gonna do that. But we're gonna try our best to get you there this year. And like we said earlier on, later in the season, end of August, September, October, November, even December, right? If this coronavirus thing just does what it needs to do and then bugs off, because it will eventually, we're gonna try and keep the camp open. And I think with the amount of food that's there for the animals, I think if you go towards end of the year, it's gonna be ridiculous. I really, really do. It's gonna be amazing. So keep in touch and keep watching some of these. We're gonna keep on giving you guys updates with regards to the camp and just see how it is, um, so yeah. And then, was Kenton, can I go there with you Absolutely, we will make it happen because it is that special. And sharing it with someone special, I mean, sharing a place like this with someone you love, do it, and yes, we will do it. Right, um, what have I else got here? Nicholas asks, uh, I've got Charlotte asking one more question here. Do you think having a basic camp adds to the experience? Hell yes, oh absolutely. Absolutely. Because you go to a fancy lodge, right? It's got aircon, it's got an icon, iPod docking station, and what have you. Um, but when you close the door, you can't hear Africa. Being in that tent, feeling the cool breeze come through, hearing lions in the distance. I've gone through, and I shit you not, I've gone through about a two, three week period being in the Mara where I heard lions roaring every single night. Every single night. So I do think the camp, it, it's kind of like a flashback to Africa of old, where you're not in this luxury, you're kind of rough glamping. It's hardly like you're struggling, right? But um, thanks Grace, that's awesome. So, so yes, yes. The camp adds to the experience, it definitely does. Uh, Nicholas asked, guys if you have any other questions, fire them through now and we'll start wrapping it up from there. Nicholas says, where will be your next own camp in Africa? Now, I'm not going to obviously share everything. Maybe I will. No, I won't. But we are in the process of looking at the future of WildEye and where it's going to grow to. Obviously, this coronavirus, COVID-19, has caused a bit of a different, um, what would it call, strategy. And we are going to be changing lanes in the next couple of weeks and months to kind of keep adding value to our clients and to build up to the future. But... We have looked at Botswana, we have looked at Tanzania, Zimbabwe, so we're looking. But nothing official just yet. Nothing official. Nicholas, I'm sure you'll be one of the first to know, so just stay tuned. Uh, Phil asks, can I I get two hot water bottles in the tent? Phil, absolutely. When you come back, you can have two hot water bottles in your tent. Absolutely. (laughs) See, the water bottle, and for those of you who haven't been on a safari before, Sometimes people come on their first safari, right? And they're shit scared of everything because there's bugs and things are gonna eat them and what have you. They realize very quickly that it is a safe environment and it is cool, but then they get to their their room in the evenings, right? And there's this little bit of nerves happening because I'm gonna sleep on my own in a camp or in a room in Africa and there's like lions outside that can kill me. So there's this, your mind does weird shit, right? And then they kind of brush their teeth and they're all sorted and they're good. (laughs) and then they get into bed, and as they push their feet into the bed, there's this hot furry thing in the bed. I've heard people scream and shout because, oh my God, there's a furry animal in my bed. It's a furry hot water bottle. So yes, it can get chilly in the evenings. Yes, we do put hot water bottles in the bed if you want it. And yes, Phil, you can have two. So I'll make sure Mary gives you two hot water bottles next time. And, Guys, yeah, I'm going to start just wrapping this up. If you have any questions, Emily, I see yours. Fire with the last couple of questions. Um, But yeah, so the camp at this stage, we are not sure when we're going up this year. A lot of... (laughs) Nick, it scared the crap out of me the first night, the hot water bottle. Nice. Um, It's funny, though. So we're not sure when the camp is going up. We're going to keep you guys both in real time, but we want to get there this year because it is going to be a killer season, I believe. I really do. Emily asks, is the Mara Camp fully booked this season, or if we had to rebook, is there space available this year, or does it have to be next year? That's a very good question. Now, what are we doing, and this is COVID-19 related again, right, is should it not be possible for whatever reason, right, travel bans, flights, um, lockdowns, whatever, for us to get you there in July, if you've booked in July, we're gonna say to you, let's move you to next year. This year is, there's some spaces available for this year still, not many, but this this COVID-19 thing makes it interesting. We might then move, if it keeps going, right, COVID-19, we might move the August bookings to the next year, and then so on and so forth. However, and this is very, very important, you guys are the first to hear this, if we've moved people across to next year, and it happens that we can travel, and that the Americans and the Europeans, and we can all start moving around again we might be opening the camp and offering pretty stupid rates to get there. Because for us, it's not just about us as a business. That's that's a different story. I want my staff to be there. I want them to earn money. I want to have them deliver the experience that I know they can. So guys, stay in touch with me. Stay in touch with you, Han. Stay in touch with the Wild Eye guys. Because things right now, it's literally like I've taken... 15, I don't know, balls and throw them in the air. We don't know what's gonna happen, but there is gonna be a very good chance that depending on how things play out, we can get you in there towards the end of the year at pretty decent rates. If you have booked, we will stay with you in, in touch in real time and we'll try and roll you to the next year so you don't lose out. You have to experience our camp at some stage. It is ridiculous. guys. Um, I know some of you on here, you've spoken about trying to get your families to go and the whole thing. Speak to your family now. Tell them, listen, before end of year, if you're at school, before exams or something, we're just after, let's go to the Mara because it's awesome, right? Do it. It's going to be amazing. Um, I will say hi to Dixon. That's awesome. Thank you. So guys, that's it for now. Thank you for listening. It is something that I'm very passionate about. At Wild Eye, we are very passionate about it. It is our baby. It is our passion we believe it is the best way to experience not just only the Massamara, but the wildlife, the landscape, the culture, and just that X factor that makes it that special. So what I'm gonna do is I will pull this video off. I will put that on my IGTV later in the week. This audio will be available as a podcast. And if you would like any of the videos, if you wanna see the links to the videos, there must be about 20 that have to do with our camp and the staff. Send me an email, send me a direct message on Instagram, telling me you want the links, give me your email. I'll fire that off to you. And then you know where to get hold of us should you have any further questions. Guys, as always, thank you so much for your time. I truly appreciate it. For those of you listening, next week I am going to run a Lightroom webinar, the first one. But next week, a whole bunch more coming up. So stay tuned to Instagram for all the updates. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you lending me your ears. And I will chat to you guys online soon, I'm sure. Wherever in the world you are, Good morning, good evening, and good night. My name is Julian from WildEye. I'll chat to you next time. Bye-bye.